Humility by Andrew Murray. Introduction and brief one. Murray posits that there are three roles of man, that we started as a creature, and at that time we were totally humble and we had no pride. But we fell and we became sinners, and we should be striving to become saints, to get back to that place where we began, where we had no pride, only humility. We started as humble people in the beginning. Adam and Eve were completely humble. We need to recognize our need for Christ, understanding that we're sinners. The shame at this point won't get the job done. But getting back to humility is the key to becoming a saint. Jesus is our example. We must be humble before God and men. Jesus was glorified by being a servant. Whoever would be first among you shall be your servant. Brief one, the glory of the creature. In Revelations 4, 10 through 11, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will, they were created and have their being. Because of what God is, the one who holds all things together by his power, we are dependent on him. The creature's highest virtue is to present ourselves to God as an empty vessel so he can show off his glory, his power, and his goodness. I believe Paul wrote that we have this treasure in empty vessels so that the power and the excellence may be of God and not ourselves. Humility is the greatest virtue and pride is the greatest sin. Jesus is our example in this. He humbled himself more than anyone ever will. He went from being God, master of the universe, to death on the cross. Humility is the fountain from which all other virtues spring, faith, love, and strength. Ultimately, it is God who does it all, and only humility properly positions us for this to happen. We must be 0% for God to be 100%. Meekness and lowliness of heart mark the disciple just as they mark Jesus. This is achieved through desire, prayer, faith, and practice. This will bring us to a place where we realize we can't do it. Then we make room for Jesus to come in and do it for us. Brief two, the secret of redemption. In Philippians, Paul tells us, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. We have a need that comes from the poison of pride introduced by Satan in the Garden of Eden. Although the evils of this world come from this source, including war, suffering, fights, hate, love, hate, jealousy, and broken hearts, pride has a satanic source, and this is important to remember. The first Adam positioned us here. We have to look to the second Adam to find humility. That is what he did. He emptied himself and became a man. This is Jesus as the Lamb the one who is the lamb before the throne in Revelation. 
Humility rests in the death of ourself. We quit seeking honor from men and seek it from God alone. Christ can do this for us. He can come in and mold us into this empty vessel that God can use. Brief three. Humility in the life and teachings of Jesus. In Luke, Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is the perfect example of how we are to live. He humbled himself to death on a cross, and God therefore exalted him. Here are some examples of where Jesus humbled himself before the Father. He said in John, the fifth chapter, the 19th verse, I can of my own self do nothing. He said in John, the fifth chapter, and the 41st verse, I receive not glory from men. He said in John, the sixth chapter, I have come not to do my own will. In the seventh chapter, he said, my teaching is not mine own. In the eighth chapter, he said, I do nothing of myself. In the 14th chapter of John, he said, the words that I say, I speak not from myself. And in John, the 14th chapter, in the 24th verse, he says, the word which you hear is not mine. We can see from this that Jesus was meek. In his Sermon on the Mount, the first two qualities Jesus called for us to have were first, to be poor in spirit, and second, to be meek. These are both ways of saying we need to seek humility. Being poor in spirit is when we acknowledge our need for God. Being meek is seeing God, seeking God's will only and not our will at all. This is possible only when we have become nothing and God has become all. Jesus' life was the yielded life. Talk to people to discover if you have this. Humility in the teaching of Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus said in Matthew, the 11th chapter, 29th verse, And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. As examples, think of the disciples when they disputed who would be the greatest. An argument started amongst them as to who would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. The Pharisees' love of the best seats, Jesus said this, The greatest among you must be a servant. When Jesus spoke about the Pharisee and the tax collector, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said this in Luke, the 18th chapter, and he said it was not the Pharisee, but the tax collector who humbled himself, who was the one who would be justified before God and exalted. Jesus called us to be servants. Only the humble can truly serve. In God's kingdom, it is the humble that are exalted. So the last shall be first and the first last. Jesus told us in Matthew, the 20th chapter and 16th verse. Take my my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, Jesus said. And you will find rest for your souls. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The Beatitudes begin with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
What is this but a call to humility? Blessed are those who recognize they really have nothing to offer God. Blessed are those who apply their God-given strength to do God's will, which is what meekness is all about. It's strength under control. To give you some examples, the disciples argue who would be the greatest, and Jesus' answer, uh, and an argument started amongst them as to which of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. Now, the mother of James and John wanted them to sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus to have the positions of honor. But Jesus called them aside and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their superiors exercise authority over them. It shall not be this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He told them to take the lowest seat so they would be invited to move up. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So when when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He said, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. Brief 5. Humility in the disciples of Jesus. While the disciples had come a long way with Jesus, they had given up everything instantly to follow him. Yet pride still lived in them. Pride comes from Satan. Note that pride still lived in them. After all of Jesus' teaching, they were still arguing about who was the greatest amongst them. This shows you can't get rid of pride through teaching, no matter how great the teacher. No matter how great the discipleship, that won't do it either. They had the perfect teacher and the perfect example And yet, pride still lived in them. How do we get rid of pride? Only by the great exchange. Pride came to us from Satan through Adam in the flesh. Humility must come to us by the indwelling of the second Adam, Jesus. We have to get to the point where we want it and realize we do not have it. Then we are ready for Pentecost. It was at Pentecost that the disciples really received humility. It came with the power of the Holy Spirit. We have no power to change ourselves. God has to do it. And God will do all, according to Mary. We need the indwelling spirit of Christ to make his life of humility possible for us. Brief six, humility in daily life. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? John told us that. Our love for God is measured by how we treat people daily. Our level of humility towards God is similarly shown by our humility towards men. Paul teaches the same points. In Romans, he told them in honor, preferring one another. To the Corinthians, he said, love is not puffed up. 
and does not seek its own. To the Ephesians, he said, Therefore walk with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. To the Philippians, he said, Doing nothing through faction or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, each counting others better than himself. The humble person acts as Paul said, in honor preferring one another. The humble person does not look at self at all, and so makes no comparisons to others. Paul wrote, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Similarly, the truly humble feel no jealousy or envy. How can they when they are not thinking about themselves and making no comparisons? We are working to get to the point where we can say, as Paul did, I am nothing. Mary says that in putting on the Lord Jesus, we are putting on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. We become like Jesus, the meek and lowly Lamb of God. Moreover, the truly humble don't get hurt easily and can easily forgive. Remember how Jesus modeled this at the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If we give ourselves up for God, we should be able to be humble before and with our Christian brothers and sisters. Brief 7. Humility and Holiness Yet they say to each other, Don't come too close, or you will defile me. I am holier than you. Isaiah, the 65th chapter and the 5th verse. Mary says humility allows holiness to dwell within us. When you think about the fruits of the Spirit and how humility makes room for the Holy Spirit, this makes sense. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, Paul wrote to us in Galatians. Consider the tax collector and the Pharisee, who focused on themselves, who focused on themselves but in the presence of God as revealed by God. Was it not the tax collector who saw himself as God saw him and went away justified? The Pharisee came in pride and it yielded no holiness. A test for self-examination is how we are treating people. We have to be humble before people. How do we know we are in the presence of God, according to Mary? We know it when our thoughts are focused on God and self-awareness disappears. Mary poses the tension that humility creates in brief eight, humility and sin. On the one hand, humility allows the Holy Spirit to live in us, creating holiness. On the other hand, humility causes us to always see what we used to be. Paul saw himself as the chief of sinners. He said he was the least of the apostles. He wrote, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. In the end, the ultimate is not to be living in sin presently, as Paul appeared to live a faultless life post his conversion, but then to know that we are sinners saved by grace. When Paul poses that conundrum in Romans, where in chapter 7 he says, in his flesh dwells no good thing, and ask, how do we get out of the box? How do we get free from sin? He answers in chapter 8 that it is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has made us free from the law of sin. So once again, we end up with the need for the Holy Spirit, the indwelling spirit of Christ Jesus. Brief 9, humility and faith. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? John 5 and 4. 
Mary tells of a talk he heard where the speaker described the blessings of the higher Christian life were often like the objects exposed in a shop window. One could see them clearly and yet not reach them. In the shop window, the invisible glass stands between us and the objects. In the Christian life, it is pride that creates the barrier. What John is saying in the earlier quote is that faith is not possible when we are seeking glory from men as opposed to God. At the end of the day, the only way God can be all in all, as both Mary and Brother Lawrence talk about, is when we get to where we are nothing. Jesus gives two examples that show the relationship between faith and humility. There are two people whose faith Jesus cites as astonishing. The first example was the centurion who came to Jesus seeking healing for his servant. Though he was a centurion, one of the Romans running the place, he tells Jesus he is not worthy to have Jesus enter his house. He asks Jesus to only say the word and his servant will be healed. Jesus marvels at his faith and says he's never seen faith like that. But notice it's built on the foundation of humility. He states that he is not worthy to have Jesus enter his house. The second example is the woman who approaches Jesus to obtain healing for her daughter. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that region came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is miserably possessed by a demon. But Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. But Jesus replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Oh, woman, Jesus answered, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Here she was humble enough to be accept being called a dog. And Jesus linked that to her faith level. He called her faith great. We can't help but make the connection between humility and faith. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Paul tells us in Philippians, the second chapter in the eighth verse. Humility comes through death. Jesus expressed the ultimate in humility by dying the death of a slave on the cross, though he was king of the universe. This is the ultimate example of humility for us. Paul wrote to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2 and 20. The takeaways from this, we can't do it. We can't live the Christian life. We can't be humble. But we have to make an exchange with Christ and allow him to live our lives for us as we die to self. We make room for him to take over. Where we resist, he will not take over as he is the ultimate gentleman. In this dying we follow the example of our Lord and Master, Jesus. Mary revisits another important thought. The way we react to the needling and irritations caused by people reveals where we are in our trek to achieve humility. And dying perfects our faith because then God will resurrect us with the life of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Each time... This brief 11, humility and happiness. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. 
So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul had asked God three times to take away the thorn in his flesh, but God answered him, My strength is made perfect in weakness. What's Paul saying? He's saying our weakness allows God to showcase his strength. Moreover, as Murray points out, Paul progressed to the point where he didn't just endure test or request they be taken away, but he rejoiced in them. This is what humility does. It brings us to that point where we allow Jesus to dwell in us and so long for the completeness of that where he fully dwells in us. Because of that, we rejoice in anything that allows us to grow in humility. Insults and trials become sources of happiness because they know they will bring us more humility and therefore more of Christ. That's how Paul was able to say in the next verse, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. That is why, for the sake of Christ, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Saying we rejoice is saying we are happy about things that allow us to grow in humility. 3.12. Humility and exaltation and a parting prayer. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5 and 6. Mary's point here is that our role in this is the humbling of ourselves. But even that part, we are really dependent on God's grace. Getting there is a two-stage process. We must first see that our efforts don't work. This produces the desire for humility. The second stage is to present that desire before God in prayer. God will do the exalting. That is his part, as Peter tells us. We have to remember this about God that Isaiah wrote. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, God told us in Isaiah. Mary closes the book by asking us to set aside a month to talk to God and ask him to search us for pride and remove any form of it. He finds no matter what the source is, whether it's Satan or our own heart, ask him to give you humility, for Mary sees it as the source of all virtues. Hi, thank you for listening to this brief. We have plenty more at christianbrief.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B-R-I-E-F.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And hope you check out some of the other briefs at christianbrief.com.